are in Romans chapter 13 this morning, and we're going to be answering some questions together that are really important. What is love? Who is my neighbor? And how do I become the kind of person who loves well? Those are not easy questions to answer, and I think they're questions that we are called to ask and answer over and over again in different seasons of our life. What is love? What is it actually? How do I love well? Who is my neighbor? Who is it that I am called to love? And how do I become the kind of person who loves well? I was reflecting this week on all of the ways over the years that my church community has loved me well. I have been very privileged to be a part of incredible communities of believers who have just surrounded me in times of great need and in times of normal daily life. A couple of those that I wanna highlight for us together this weekend because I think they paint a picture of what's possible when we love one another well. So thinking back to being 15 years old and attending church for the very first time, I did not grow up in a Christian home. And this tiny little community of people who within a matter of months, one couple in our church with three young boys took me into their home and allowed me to stay with them for a few months. This troubled 15-year-old girl, they took a risk, a big risk, and they loved me and they served me and they made a significant difference in my life. Another couple in our church took in my younger brother 13-year-old troubled kid who needed a place to stay for a few months. The impact that those families and that greater church community, because it wasn't just those two couples, but it was the way the whole community gathered around us and everyone played a part. Some smaller than others, but every one of them mattered. And then fast forward, we moved here to San Diego and immediately at 17 years old, going into my senior year of high school, I knew I needed a church community. I needed people. And I began to Google and look around for churches. We did actually have Google at that point in my life. I didn't have a smartphone. I don't even, there wasn't even texting, but we did have Google. So I began to look and some churches, not all of them had websites. And I plugged into a community in Tierra Santa and there were two women both of whom had small kids at home. Their lives were chaotic and full, and yet they made time to welcome me into their homes. I can remember vividly sitting at the counter in one of their homes. Almost once a week, I would go over and she would make me lunch as her girls played in the house, and she would just listen to me talk about my life and all of the things that a 19 and 20-year-old young woman would be sharing. She modeled for me what it looked like to be a wife and to be a mom and to love your family well. And I didn't have any idea at the time how significant that would be. Another woman from that same church community invited me into her life in the same ways, took me under her wing. A few years later, she moved to Colorado with her family, but we stayed in touch and she continued to love me well. And then when I was expecting my first baby, the week after Claire was born, she flew out from Colorado and she stayed in our home for the week. And she helped me learn how to become a mom. She modeled for me what that looked like. And both of those women are still involved in my life today. And I 
can't even imagine what my marriage and my parenting would look like without their influence and their impact. Fast forward a little bit further to, well, not fast forward. I did this in another service too, rewind. When I was pregnant with that first baby, I was a part of another church community. I was a youth pastor, but I had not led a youth service in about six months because that pregnancy knocked me out. I was in and out of the hospital, getting fluids. I couldn't keep water down. I could not stand. It was just, I was a, I was a mess. And my husband was away for six months for work, and we had my teenage sister in our home. We were um, parenting her at the time. And all of a sudden, I got a knock on the front door. <laughs> And I got myself up and I answered the front door and it was a a group of people from our church community who showed up to clean my house. And I didn't even have the energy to send them away. So I just let them come in and while I laid out on the couch, they cleaned my toilets. And they put food in my refrigerator and they loved me well. Fast forward to this season of life that I'm in and I have a small group of women that I meet with on a regular basis. And I'm privileged to be one of the pastors in their life, but I'm more privileged to be their friend. This is a group of people that have walked with me through the last several years, who listen, who pray for me, who see possibility when I cannot. They're the people who when we sit down over coffee or when we sit down together as a group, they don't allow me to turn the tables back to them. They say, no, 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 no. We wanna know how you're doing. Where are you at right now? And they minister to me. And then even here within this community, just a few short weeks ago, I was sitting down with two of our board members and we were brainstorming and planning a couple of groups that they want to lead this fall. And at the end of the conversation, they said, okay, we wanna take a minute and we just wanna check on you. How are you doing? And I shared I'm good, I really am. There's not anything significant that I'm carrying. There's not anything really unusually difficult going on right now. But we talked and the question mattered. And then they prayed over me. And there wasn't anything specific that they prayed for, but it mattered and it was significant. And I carried that with me into the week. It was a blessing that I looked back on. Because sometimes, As a pastor, I'm guilty of deflecting and not allowing others to care for me. And I need it just like anybody else does. These are some of the ways, just a few, that my church communities over the years have cared for me. And I would imagine that if you've been involved in church for a while, you have stories too. There are ways, significant, meaningful ways that others have cared for you who have loved you. I know you also carry wounds and disappointments, as I do too, because when we gather a bunch of people together, there's gonna be some stuff. If you're new, if you're just trying out a church community for the very first time, I want you to know that this is a place where you get to be loved and cared for as you love and care for others. But that's the thing about love, isn't it? It's easy for us to identify what it looks like when we're receiving it. We can think back and point to what it looks like and what it feels like when we're on the receiving end of love. It's harder for me though to identify what love looks like when I'm called to give it away. I 
find myself at times in the midst of my relationships, in the midst of conflict, in the midst of circumstances, in the midst of stuff that I just don't understand, going, I don't know what love looks like here. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do or what not to do. In this situation, it might look like this, but over here in this situation, it might look like that. And then sometimes I'm paralyzed and I just don't take any action at all. Because while love can seem simple, to me, it often feels a little bit more complex than that. And I'm not always sure, what does it look like? And so today what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a look at the words of the Apostle Paul, and we're gonna take a look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, and we're gonna answer those questions, what is love? Who is my neighbor? And how do I become the kind of person who loves well? How do we do this together as a community who's following Jesus, advancing the cause of Christ through mercy and justice and love? And so in Romans chapter 13, starting in verse eight, the apostle Paul says this. He says, don't run at debts, except for the huge debt of love you owe each other. When you love others, you complete what the law has been after all along. This is the last time the Apostle Paul is gonna talk about the law in the book of Romans. He's been talking about the law and arguing, making his points over and over and over again. And here in chapter 13, he says, okay, here it is. It's summed up in this, and then we're not gonna talk about it again in this letter. The law code. Don't sleep with another person's spouse. Don't take someone's life. Don't take what isn't yours. Don't always be wanting what you don't have. And any other don't that you can think of, it finally adds up to this. Love other people as well as you do yourself. You can't go wrong when you love others. When you add up everything in the law code, the sum total is love. When you add it all together, when it's all taken into consideration, when every detail is inspected and studied and looked at. The sum total is love. And of course we know this isn't the Apostle Paul's idea. If you've read through the Gospels and studied the life and the ministry of Jesus, this is what Jesus taught and teaches and asks us to live into, that the greatest commandment is to love God and to love your neighbor as you love yourselves. Jesus says, you've heard it said to love your neighbor and to hate your enemies, but I say love your neighbor and love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is a tall order. This is not something that's easy to do. So what is love? The best definition that I have come across is that love is to work and to will for the good of another. It is when we actively work for the good of those around us. It is active, it's not passive. That we work for their well-being, their mental and emotional and physical well-being. We work for good in their life. That we will for good in their life. It's not just that we take the right action or we say the right words, but that our heart's desire is that we would will goodness into their life. That we would will well-being into their life that we want God's best for them, even if what's best for them might not necessarily be what I want for them. That we work and we will for the good of the other. And then who is our neighbor? 
That's kind of where our brain naturally goes next. And we see the Apostle Paul talk about this. We also, of course, see Jesus answer this question. When he answers the question, he shares the story of the Good Samaritan. Our neighbor is someone that we naturally come across over the course of our daily life. It's those that we would interact with. It's those that we would check out with at the grocery store. It's our kids' teachers. It's our neighbors and our neighborhood. It's the people who are in this room. It may even be some people who are in other countries around the world because somehow we are more connected and the world is smaller than it ever was before. But it's those that we would encounter over the course of our daily life, including, this is where it gets tough, our enemies and those that we would disagree with and those that we just kind of want to shake. Because you just don't know better. Come on. So then it gets a little trickier to figure out how to love and what love looks like. And then how do we become the kind of person that loves well? The other thing that I think we need to know about love here is that you, you are not left out of the equation here. That we are called to love one another as well as we love ourselves. I've spoken to many people over the years who somehow implicitly or explicitly have been taught or picked up on this message in church that they do not matter, that only the needs of the people around them matter, and that everything in their life must be sacrificed for the good of the people around them. And we're going to see today that that's not accurate teaching, and it's not even helpful, and it's certainly not healthy, and it wasn't modeled in the life and the ministry of Jesus. Friends, we cannot give away what we haven't received. If we have not been loved well, it's really difficult for us to love well. That's part of why those women in my life have been so significant in my story and in my journey is they modeled for me what love looks like. God used them in powerful ways to show me that I was loved by them and by God. And they modeled for me what love looked like in their marriages and with their children because I had not been modeled love before. You are not left out of the equation. Our ability to love our neighbor as we love ourselves is the result of dwelling in God's love. I think of Jesus at the baptism, the very beginning of his ministry before he had done anything, preached a sermon, healed a person, gathered a crowd. We see him dwelling in the love and in the affirmation of his heavenly father. You are my beloved son. With you, I am pleased. And then over the course of his ministry, we see Jesus return to dwell, to focus, to encounter the love of his heavenly father so that then he could go and pour out and give away what he had received. Bertrand Russell is a well-known British philosopher, and he wrote this. He said, the Christian principle, love your enemies. It's good. There's nothing to be said against it, except that it's too difficult for most of us to participate in and practice sincerely. It's a pretty honest guy. This idea of loving our enemies, and you know, sometimes we think loving our enemies is always the other people who are out there who are outside of our home, but you might have ridden here in the car today with somebody who feels like your enemy right now. 
You might be sitting at the Thanksgiving dinner table in a couple of months with somebody who feels like your enemy right now. If you've been married for longer than five minutes, you know what it's like to go to sleep with an enemy. Because there are just times when you're on opposite sides of things, when you don't see things the same way, when what you want and what you need is the opposite of what they want and what they need. And we gotta figure that out. What does love look like in this scenario? And then there are, of course, enemies who wound us and who have harmed us and who have disappointed us and who have said things about us that are not true, who have taken things from us that cannot be given back. How do we do this? What does that look like? This guy's right. This is not easy for us to do, and it's certainly not easy for us to do sincerely. Paul's pointing out to us here that this is possible. Loving one another well. Loving one another as well as we love ourselves, including our enemies, is possible because we are empowered by the finished work of Christ and the Spirit at work within us now, today. That it is not by my power, but by God's. That we love because God first loved us and continues to love us and that Spirit of God continues to work in us and through us and around us. It's not by our own strength. If it was, I don't know, Bertrand Russell might have more to say about that. But the good news is that it's not. We are empowered by the finished work of Christ and the power of the Spirit. So what does love look like? This is the question that I would love for you to carry with you today and tomorrow and the next day and into your week. I am learning and discovering in my own life as I try to practice what this might look like in my home and in my friendships and in my neighborhood and in our community to love one another well, to love others well. But if I can come back to this question, that it helps me to be empowered to live this out better and better. And that is what does love look like here? In this conversation, with this individual, unique, specific human being in front of me with a unique story, what does love look like here? With this child, who's different from the other two that I have, who requires a very specific and different set of parenting books, what does love look like in this moment? With this teacher, what does love look like? Teachers in the room, you're gonna be asking a lot this year, what does it look like for me to love this parent? Because if you're a teacher, you know it's not the kids, it's the parents. We can be tough. What does love look like with a coworker that you just seem to always be at odds with? With the neighbor that keeps parking their RV in front of your house when they have plenty of room in front of their house. What does love look like in this moment, in this situation, in this circumstance, when the world feels like it is falling apart? And it will, multiple times over the course of our lifetime. What does love look like here? And then we're gonna look together at some things that we see in the life and the ministry of Jesus to help us discern what that looks like. Because it does require some discernment, it requires some wisdom, it requires sometimes getting it wrong before we get it right because this is not a science. Sometimes what love looks like in one person's life is not what love looks like when I go to love another person. They need something different. And what I might want and what I might need when I am in need and I am hurting is not necessarily what loving someone else looks like. 
But Jesus models this for us beautifully. So the first thing that we see in Jesus is he pauses to pray. Friends, when we're asking this question of what does love look like, let's pause to pray. Now, I'm not being trite here. What I'm wanting us to do is to to pause and to return our attention and our focus and our awareness back to the presence of the Spirit of God at work in our life. It's a returning to love. When we are struggling to identify what does love look like here, especially when it's with those that we disagree with or those that we would consider to be our enemies, we must return to love. Otherwise, we get caught up in a spiral that really ends with us not loving well. And so we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane taking time and inviting his community to come and to be with him and returning to love, his awareness back to the love of the Father. This can look different depending on your personality and the way that you encounter God. And so don't feel like this has to look a certain way or it has to fit inside of a box, but instead of me thinking about how to solve the problem or to solve the person, it's coming back and shifting my attention back to God and who God is and who God says I am and who God says they are. It's about focus and awareness. And then it's where we process our anger and our hurt. We allow ourselves to be real human beings with real emotions. We see this in Jesus in the garden. He is processing real human emotions here. He's asking the question, what does love look like in this moment? And he's processing his anguish and all kinds of emotions in real time, in a real way with God. And we see this in the Psalms. We're not called to be a people who are not actually people. The word of Jesus became flesh and he dwelt among us. He was a real person and cried out to God. And we can do the same. This is part of what we do when we begin with this act of prayer. When you're angry and you're hurt and you're frustrated, that's real and we, we can take that to God. That's the place where we work that out in rawness and in honesty, if that's necessary. And then from there, it's where we listen for the heart of God. In moments, especially with someone who I'm not seeing eye to eye with, we are in conflict. We're on opposite ends of the spectrum here. What I want is not what they want, or they're resisting, and I don't know what to do about it. God, help me see. Help me to see this person the way that you see this person. Help me to understand this person the way that you understand this person. Help me to love this person the way that you love this person. It's a vulnerable way to approach the situation. But in order to love others well, I find that I'm needing to ask for that kind of help. I'm needing to ask for that kind of a perspective, especially with those that I am frustrated with or that I don't see eye to eye with. And then this is where we will for the good of another. Jesus said, we're not gonna hate our enemies. That's not who we are as a people. We are a people who love our enemies. We are a people who pray for those who persecute us. And so when we pause and we return to prayer, we begin to pray for those who wound us and have wounded us. We begin to will for good in their life. Now that may start out as us willing goodness in their life through clenched teeth. And it may start out with us saying some words that I'm not gonna repeat to you in church this morning and I need you to know that that's absolutely okay. God can handle all of that. 
This is real human emotion and situations and circumstances. And yet what we discover as we pray and as we sit with God in an awareness of God's love for us and we begin to ask God to help us to see them the way God sees them. And then we begin to say, God, help me want goodness for them. God, bless their life, work in their life. The miracle that happens is that God begins to change and shift and heal our heart and our minds and our will. It's not so much about the other person we discover, although sometimes we're a little bit bummed about that if we're honest. It's about God shifting and changing us. We will for the good of another. There's a lot of mystery involved here. I'm gonna be really honest with you about that, but I'm telling you that as I begin to live into this more and more in my life, the more I see the good fruit of the Spirit working these things out. And then what we see in the life and the ministry of Jesus is that when we're asking this question of what does love look like, let's practice active listening. What we wanna do is we want to solve, we want to fix, we want to tell the other person what they need to do. We want to give all of the really good advice because we just wanna make them better in the moment. It's hard for us to sit with those who are struggling, to sit with those who are hurting, to sit with those who have questions. And there's anguish sometimes when we have questions that we don't have answers for. But what love would ask of us sometimes is to listen and to listen well, to listen actively. And we see this in the life of Jesus. One of my favorite stories that I'm seeing this week for maybe the first time in a different way is Jesus was in a crowd with his disciples on his way to go do something very important. People are everywhere. The crowd is jostling, they're rubbing shoulders, people are pushing, you're having to really focus on staying with Jesus because he's on his way, he has to go do something really, really important. And then all of a sudden Jesus stops. And he says, who touched me? And the disciples look at him and they're like, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody has touched you. We're in the middle of a crowd. And did you forget we're on our way to go do something really important? This is a life or death situation right now. Let's go. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Who touched me? And if you've read through the gospels, you know that what happens next is a woman, I would imagine trembling, scared, terrified, head down, shoulders hunched, comes forward. I did. You see, she, she touched the hem of his garment. She didn't feel worthy enough to come to him directly with a request. But she trusted enough and thought, if I could just touch the hem, then maybe I'll be healed. And she was. Jesus felt power leave. She was healed. And yet, who touched me? And so she comes forward and what we see here is Jesus listened to her story. He invites her to share her pain, her disappointment, her journey, the way that others have hurt and harmed and let her down. 
and he listens. He sees her the way that we all need to be seen. He understands her the way that we all need to be understood. He had somewhere else that he needed to be, somewhere really important, and yet this woman was the most important person in that crowd, in that moment, to Jesus. He listens, and then he affirms, and he sends her on her way. You see, what Jesus understood and understands about us as humans is that we don't always only need physical healing or physical supply for physical needs, that there is an emotional and mental part to us that needs to be seen, that needs to be understood, that needs to be comforted. He could have just let her go on her way. She was healed. It was done. But there was more work that needed to be done in that moment, and Jesus knew it, and so he stopped. And he listened, and he listened intently. One of the people in my life who's teaching me a lot right now, he doesn't know he's teaching me, but I'm reading all of his books and listening to his podcasts. His name is Kurt Thompson, and he's in the neurotheology world right now, which I just, there's so much goodness there. I was reading a book of his this week, and I found myself underlining it and putting a star next to it and writing in the margin. This is what he says. He says, what they all needed from me when they first entered treatment was to see me seeing the sadness and fear on their faces, hearing the anguish in their voices and feeling the affliction in their hearts and still imagining for them the beauty in their future they could not yet see. What they needed from me was not first right theology. They needed me to be their embodied imaginer of beauty. And what I found myself writing in the margins of that book this week is, God help me to be an embodied imaginer of beauty to those that you are calling me and inviting me to love. I have had that in my life. People who sit with me, who listen to me, who hear my heart and my story, and they say, Carissa, I know you don't see a way. I know this feels like the end. I know there is no hope in your mind right now. But I know there's goodness on the way. And I know that God is still at work in your story. And we don't know what it's gonna look like, but we know, and we're gonna hold on to that hope for you. That's what he's writing about. Friends, this is the kind of ministry that we get to be a part of with one another. And you don't have to be a Kurt Thompson in order to do it. You don't have to be a pastor or a leader in order to do this. This is about seeing and hearing and listening and feeling with people and then pointing them to hope and goodness and beauty in their life that they cannot yet see. So what does love look like? More often than not, that's what love looks like with our spouses, with our children, with our friends, with our coworkers, with those in our community here, with those in our neighborhoods. What love looks like sometimes is listening and listening well. The trouble about that, for me at least, is that it requires me to slow down. I am a quick, fast, get it done, I have all of my lists kind of person. I pride myself, and this is not a good thing, on being efficient and getting stuff done. That prevents me, oftentimes, from loving those around me well. 
This kind of living in embodied listening requires us to slow down, to be in the present moment, to not be thinking about the five other things that I need to get done today, but to be with this person, this kid, this spouse, this friend, this neighbor in this moment. It's a practice, and I don't always get it right, but I am asking God to help me get better at this, to help me set up my life in such a way that I'm not always rushed and always hurried because that prevents me from living this way. And then what we see in the life and the ministry of Jesus is he asks, what do you want? What is it that you need? What do you want me to heal? The very first words that come out of the mouth of Jesus according to John in the book of John are Jesus saying and asking the question, what do you want? And so when we're considering what does love look like here with this person in this situation, in this circumstance, friends, oftentimes we need to ask, how can I help? What does it look like for me to support you right now? Can I bring you a meal? Can I watch your kiddos? Do you need me to just listen to you right now and not try to solve the problem? Do you want me to brainstorm some solutions with you, but to just ask, like, what is it that you want here in this moment? We see Jesus do that. Now, what we also see is Jesus just jump in and make it happen. He says, Zacchaeus, come out of that tree. I'm going to your house today. Jesus didn't ask. He, he just said, hey, guess what? You're hosting a dinner party and we're all coming. This one requires a little bit of discernment. And I have gotten this wrong more than I've gotten it right. Sometimes we don't need to ask because someone is spiraling and they're in so deep they don't even know how to ask. They don't even know how to tell you what they need. They're surviving and that's when those of us who have been invited into that space with them can just show up and do what needs to be done and link arms with them and serve and give and then check in, hey, is this okay? Are we good? Let's ask and then act. Some of us are rushers and some of us are runners. We might need to identify where we are on that spectrum. Do you know what I mean? Like somebody is in need and some of us just rush. We rush right in. And before we know it, everybody has a job and everybody's doing something and all the problems that the person didn't even know they had are solved. And you're like, you're welcome. And then before you know it, you're off and you're on to the next thing that needs to be solved. Some of us are runners. We see pain and brokenness and woundedness and deep need and, and it's hard and we don't know what to do and we don't know what to say and we're scared of doing the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing. And so we find ourselves creating some distance. Understanding where we fall on that spectrum can be helpful as we learn what does it look like to love well. If I am a rusher, it's gonna be important for me to pause and to return to God and to discern with God and maybe even with some trusted individuals, what does love look like here? Sometimes it doesn't look like rushing in to solve and fix and do all the things. If I'm a runner, it's pausing. Why am I running? Is this more about me and something in me that's coming up that I need to ask God to work through and to heal or is this more about them? What would it look like for me to sacrifice some of my own comfort to be uncomfortable with this person in their pain? And is God inviting me to do that? 
And then, friends, remember that you are a part of this equation. And so what we see in the life and in the ministry of Jesus is that it's important for us to acknowledge and honor our limits. We are humans with very real human limitations. We cannot, nor are we called to do all of the things for all of the people all of the time. Some of you, that's the only thing that you need to hear today. We see this when Jesus is asked the question, who is my neighbor? And if you've read the story, you know that Jesus answers the question with a story. This is a pretty common thing with Jesus. And so he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. This is another one that I saw differently this week for the first time. We see the Samaritan who's traveling through and on the course of his daily life, he does what two religious leaders don't do is he stops with the man who had been beaten and robbed on the side of the road. And he takes the man to an inn at his own risk, at his own sacrifice. He sets the man up with the inn owner, pays for his stay. And what I never noticed before was the Samaritan kept going. There was something that the Samaritan needed to do. There was somewhere that he needed to be. There was an important responsibility that he needed to attend to. There was a limitation even in the story of the Good Samaritan. We can be neighbors, loving, kind, generous neighbors, and at the same time acknowledge and honor our own limitations. This is also another one that requires great discernment because there are some times that God is asking me to sacrifice some of my own comfort, some of my own desires, some of my own energy, some of my own sleep. And then there are other times when it is vitally important for me to acknowledge and honor my own limitations, the responsibilities that God has given me in my life. And so what does love look like here? In this story, in this moment, with this person, with this neighbor, can we return and pause and pray? Can we come back to God? Can we take moments where sometimes we listen and we listen well? Can we take moments where we ask before we act? And then friends, let's honor and acknowledge our own limitations. I wanna close with a story that I read uh, in a book of essays that I think captures this idea of we are better together when we love one another. So the author is sharing a story that happened in the city of Damascus when the plague was taking place. And he says, amid the horrors of the Black Death, all of the people in the city of Damascus gathered together. They joined hands, and the entire population of the town, the men, the women, the children, small and large, all of the leaders, all of the people, they made their way weeping and seeking the favor of God. And there they remained in supplication and invocation until midday. And then they returned to the city and held the Friday service, and God lightened their affliction. And then the author of the essay says, in the story, 
Even the powerful went barefoot in a statement of equality. And all of the people came together in prayer regardless of their religious beliefs or background. Of course, whether the mass gathering really slowed the spread of the plague in Damascus is unclear. But we see in this account that crisis does not always bring out the cruelty within us. It can also push us towards treating and sharing our pains and hopes and prayers and treating each other as equally human. And when we respond that way, perhaps the affliction is lightened. And while it's human nature to blame and demonize others in miserable times, it's also human nature to walk together, the leaders as barefoot as the followers. The residents of Damascus left us a model for how to live now. As the poet Robert Frost put it, the only way out is through. And the only good way through is together. Even when circumstances separate us, in fact, especially when they do, the way through is together. And so this week, friends, let's ask the question, what does love look like? Because we are better together when we love one another. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that our ability to love is not based off of our own will or our own goodness, but it's based off of the fact that we are first loved by you. Thank you that we have Romans 8 telling us that nothing separates us from that love. And so God, as we desire to be a people, a community, a diverse community of friends, advancing your cause. God, help us to learn how to love one another well. Help us to learn to love our neighbors and our enemies well. Empower us by your spirit to do this, for we cannot do it by our own strength. Help us to ask the question, what does love look like here with this person? And then to trust that you will help us to live into it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 